five, scores! Rick Five. We've decided to get ourselves back in the game again with our podcast. Rick Five. Probably the craziest story that you're ever going to hear about hockey. We're going to be coming back to you on a regular basis. You are listening to Squid and the Ultimate Leafs fan. Hello, Canada and hockey fans of the United States and Newfoundland. And an extra big hello to Canadian servicemen overseas. Welcome to episode 82 of the Squid and Ultimate Leaf Fan Show. I'm Mike Wilson, the Ultimate Leaf Fan. Joining me as always, my winger, Ricky Squid Vibe. Squid, how are we keeping? Not too bad, Michael. Uh, you know, despite the fact that I, you can't do a whole lot in Canada right about now. But yep. you know what? Things are starting to open up a little bit. Still doing my workouts at home. And uh, you know what? Hey, but if... Beginning of March, we might be rid of all these rules here in Canada, so we'll be able to lead a normal life again. Well, I, I'm back in Canada for a little bit myself after being in Florida, and our guest today, I feel like I know we've never met till we just met off the air a couple of minutes ago, because I do watch him quite regularly on NHL Network in the U.S., so, which we don't get in Canada, which is a shame for anybody who gets to watch that, should watch that show, because it's a great rundown on hockey on a daily basis for all us fanatics. Now, he was selected by the Boston Bruins in the 1982 draft, would enjoy a 17-year pro career with stops in Toronto, Dallas, and Colorado, win a couple Stanley Cups, worked as a GM in the OHL with Peterborough Peets. He's an honored member of the Etobicoke Hall of Fame. And today, as I mentioned, can be seen on NHL Network. Please welcome to Squid and Ultimate Leap Fan Show, Dave Reed. Dave, first off, thanks for joining us and how you making out. You got a busy day today, I understand. <laughs> I do. Thanks, Mike. Squid, how you guys doing? Great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Good, good. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm down in uh, Secaucus, New Jersey, where we uh, broadcast uh, uh, along with MLB. We're, we're essentially uh, under the MLB um, logos uh, for the NHL Network. We've been here. This is our seventh year, and hopefully we'll get in lots more. Uh, so I'm down here for a couple of weeks. I used to come down uh, to work uh, NHL Network shows. We start up at... Uh, uh, four o'clock in the afternoon with NHL Now, and we go through the whole night. And uh, for all the the diehards out there, used to watch us in Canada. Uh, we haven't been in Canada for six years now, or seven years, unfortunately. But we are the uh, the hockey network in the states. If you want hockey information, we're the place to go in the U.S. We've got tr- fantastic fans, and yeah. So I come down for a couple of weeks at a time. Usually, I, in the past, I did I'd come in for three or four days, fly down, go back home. I just live north of Peterborough, or just just north of Peterborough. So. With COVID and everything else, I decided to start driving down. And most of the guys come in schedules for 7 to 10, 14 days at a time. So yeah, it's, a, it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, it's a little warmer here in the New York and New Jersey area than it is in Toronto. So not Florida, Mike, but uh, yeah. a, wee, a wee bit warmer than, uh, than the minus 20s back home. Well, let's give the let's give the listeners a taste of what they're missing by not watching on a regular basis. So we're going to put a little pressure on you right off the bat, and we'll do a little preliminary here. Give us your thoughts on the season to date so far. I think uh, overall with the season, I think the season's gone well with all the uh, the stoppages and uh, unfortunately for the, the the COVID situations for a lot of the teams. I, I think the league's managed it extremely well. The teams have managed it extremely well. Uh, I think it was a smart decision not to go to the Olympics to to get all the games in. Um, mm-hmm. you know, but overall, I think we've got some great young stars in the game. Uh, mm-hmm. the superstars are, are living up to the billing of being superstars. Uh, so overall, uh, I would say the game is, is, is been a good season. Um, 
as far as the Leafs go, I think it's been a tremendous season. Um, even though a lot of people you, you keep reading, there's a lot of negativity on after a loss, which is about normal. But I think for the Leafs, it's it's been great. I, I really like what I'm seeing, uh, watching the Leafs and watching their compete level. Uh, I don't see the, the the valleys and the peaks and the that we've seen in the past with this team. Uh, I think their game is very consistent. Sheldon Keefe's done a great job of getting these guys uh, uh, and having them mature into the team that I think everybody wanted to see. Same same game night after night, so that's a lot of fun to watch. Um, you know, and I, I keep an eye on my old teams. I keep an eye on my Bruins and yeah. uh, the Avs and the, and the, the Dallas Stars as well. So I, I keep peeking out west to watch those uh, the Avalanche. I think they're going 19 games. They're oh. undefeated in regulation right now, yeah. or I guess you call it a point streak is what it's called in today's world. But um, they are rolling. Ex-Leaf Nazem Kadri. oh boy, what a great season he's having. And, um, you know, so overall, uh, it's uh, it's a lot of fun with my ex-teams because they're all doing well. They're all in playoffs or in playoff hunts. I think Dallas is the one team that's really going to be battling it to get in out in the Central. But, um, yeah, it's fun. It's uh, It's been a great year. Well, Kadri's picking the right year to have a good year well, yeah. because the ticket is up. So it's certainly going to be but you know, at the end of the year. Yeah, he, he will be. And you know what, Mike, with all the injuries and guys being out, the McKinnon's been out, Landis Gog's been out, Rantanen's been out. They've had top guys out on that team. Even Kale McCarr's yeah. been out. That's yeah. their offense. And Nas has, has done a great job of consistently putting points up no matter who he's playing with, who's in the lineup. Uh, so it, it, it's, you know, this isn't one of those always oh, benefiting from a good team. Yeah. I think the team's benefiting from his good years as, as much. So good for him. You know, if you're going to do it, you may as well do it in your contract here. So it's, uh, it's, 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 uh, reader, you mentioned, the, the like, I mean, has there ever been a time where you've seen as many star young players as there is in the league today? Like, I mean, this is incredible. The, the, the skill level of some of these young players today is just incredible. And I, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever seen a year where so many young players in the national hockey league have shown those talents. Yeah, I agree with you. And, and um, you know, I, I try to think you go back to kind of the Crosby, Malkin, Ovechkin days when, when, when that, you know, it, it goes in cycles, right? The superstars kind of go in cycles. Mm -hmm. It's not, you don't get a, that, that superstar player every year, although it seems as though every other year we're getting guys to come in, whether, you know, you go through McDavid and Eichel came in and then you had uh, Matthews and, and uh, Line A came in and then you can you know, you spot other guys throughout, uh, you know, those three or four years that are, are just as strong, just as good. I mean, Kirill Kaprizov is, is, a, is an incredible talent yeah. in Minnesota and mm -hmm. a lot of people, you know, may not even watch Minnesota, but I recommend you do because Kaprizov is that good and, Kevin Fiala in Minnesota is the same. Those two guys are dynamic. So I agree with this, Squid. I think, I think the, the players twenty four and under are are dominating the league mm. and are really are really taking over and, and lifting it to another level. I mean, talk to the Avs have got multiple stars with Kale McCarr and his edge work and the way he skates in the back end. Uh, the same can be said for Fox in New York and that that group of players and that team. And I mean, the Leafs alone, uh, you just you rattle off. Uh, the, the the superstars on that team and and you know from the Marners to the Matthews to to Nylander and and you know Morgan Riley's a little bit older than that group but um, and those guys are all what 24 25 and under uh, you know that's not mm -hmm. even mentioning Tavares the older players but yeah I, I think it's great I think the young players coming in and and dominating and, and bringing the the um, you know that skill level to another another dimension uh, for us in the media and we can talk about it break it down 
um, it, it's easy. So it's a young man's game, put it that way. And today is Yarmy August 50th birthday. And he's still yeah. playing out in Cladno, and he owns yeah. he owns a team, so he can play. I mean, Squid, if we owned a team, you and I'd still be playing too, probably. But, <laughs> but um, you know, but it, to, to to think that a guy at fifty years old is still playing professional hockey uh, in good. a game where you know the twenty year olds and twenty two year olds, you know, I didn't even mention McDavid or Drysaddle in, in that one, but uh, it's 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 a young man's game, and it's uh, it's fun to watch. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, Squid and I a lot, Dave, talk on this show about the first team out of the box to make a trade will set the bar. Calgary yesterday did acquire Tardo Toffoli. Montreal set the bar with the first round picks, the fifth round, couple prospects. Of the top teams, include top eight teams, taking them out of it because they've made a move already. Udi, do you think this, uh, you know, expedites the moves a team will make now moving into the trade deadline? And who do you think would be one of the first out of the box or of all the top guys? Uh, I, I think it does. Uh, I think it puts, you know, it's, it's always, um, all right, well, you know, the guy down the block has got a new car. I got to get a new car. And that, you know, yeah. so Calgary's got to Foley. That's the new car. Yeah, there is pressure to do it, but I think they may have paid a fairly high price, a first and second rounder. Um, you know, I, I, to me, that seemed a little bit high, but when you look what that team's got and to slotted in to start in the third line, I believe he's with Monaghan and Dubé in today's uh, in today's game in Columbus. So that is uh, you bring in a third line player who can be penalty killer and second unit power play. So I think it's a perfect fit for that team. The key is for other teams if you're going to make that move, you have to find the perfect fit. And and you got to remember to fully play with Monaghan in Ottawa, where they lit it up in junior with Shane Prince on the top line. They were a dominant team, and then he won a Stanley Cup with Daryl Sutter in in uh, Los Angeles. So the familiarity to the coach, mm -hmm. uh, it, those fits aren't going to be um, out there for most teams. That was a perfect fit for the player to go into a situation where the, the transition to a new team and a new style, it's like, Hey, I, I know how to play Daryl's game. I fit right in. And Daryl knows, Hey, I know what this guy's bringing. Uh, and that fits right in. So yeah. um, I think that had a lot to do with that, that getting that deal done now, because there may have been other teams that wanted Tyler to Foley. And I think Daryl Sutter probably had to say, say, hey, that this this is going to be a perfect fit in our team with Brad Trey Living making the, you know, kind of finalizing to move forward. You know, teams are going to add, uh, uh, to bulk up. Uh, I think defensemen are, are what everybody's looking for. Yeah. You know, Ben Schrott, Jeff Peach, yeah. Montreal is the easy pickings now because you know the, the draft is in Montreal. It's the Shane Wright Bowl. They they want to be picking number one. They want to win the lottery and. And they may want to win the lottery for two years with Bedard coming up. I believe it's the uh, yeah. uh, the, the following year. So, following year, yeah. So it, it's um, teams are hovering right now in Montreal, and Petrie's an excellent defenseman. Uh, Sherratt's an excellent defenseman. Uh, so I think you're going to be seeing some teams try to bulk up on the back end and just shore things up. Uh, you know, and that would go with, you know, you start in the West. You've got Colorado. Uh, they can always add defensemen. Let's start with the Leafs. The Leafs would love that. Probably a couple of those. Defense, wow. especially right yeah. shot guys, they've got a bulk up. Uh, Tampa Bay will make moves, depending on um, you know really what assets they've got left. Left, it's tough winning uh, a couple cups in a row and still having assets to trade, such as first round picks. Usually, have done that to win one, let alone win two. Uh, I, I expect Florida to do the same. I, I think that they're probably looking to just shore up on defense. You know, after losing Ekblad last year, uh, I think you know even though it's a, a, a still a, a healthy young team they've got you can't have enough defensemen uh, in your lineup yeah um pittsburgh i think pittsburgh would probably be looking to do the same 
because they're 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 playing great hockey right now. Names uh, forwards out there. I'm not really. I know Claude Giroux has really been 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 thrown around. uh, Really been rumored heavy to go to Colorado. I mean, he's got a no trade, so he says it looks like he's got uh, Colorado's on his mind. Minnesota, St. Louis looks like he's he's eyeballing the Central Division Mm -hmm. uh, to to pick a team where he's going to go and. No question, any team that would get him. There was some rumor earlier that Boston might be interested, which would be great. They're looking to shore up that second line center with Patrice Bergeron, who's who's out right now with some uh, injuries that might kind of be lingering if it's uh, if it is concussion uh, injuries that, that he's out with. So um, I think those are the the big guys. Um, I, everybody's been talking Chikrin for a long time. Yeah, uh, out in Arizona, but you know he's got. Uh, He's playing, he's struggling with the team. His defensive game has been struggling a little bit. So I think some yeah. of his uh, allure has probably dropped a little bit for teams yeah. wanting to have a deep playoff run. I think they're probably going to look for a little more experience. Mark Giordano is another guy yeah. who would be a great fit. Um, you know, you could throw this in Toronto. Everybody I'm saying would be a great fit in Toronto. They just got to find <laughs> cap space. And down here in New Jersey, P.K. Subban's contract's coming up uh, with the Devils. Uh, he's about $9.5 million, uh, on the cap. Um, but he's playing great hockey. He's really playing well. Again, another right shot defenseman into the Stanley Cup final, understands a deep playoff run. So uh, these are guys who who I expect to see moved, and, and top teams are going to you know, load up. We, we won the Cup. Uh, I, w- I was in Colorado for two years. The first year we traded for Ray Bork. We didn't win the Cup. The next year we traded for Rob Blake. Uh, those were our, pretty much our two major acquisitions. Yep. Uh, Ray came over oh. with Dave Anderchuk, the ex-leaf, and uh, – and the next year we got Steve Reinprecht with, with Rob Blake from LA. But you can't have enough quality defensemen on your team. So I, I think that the top teams, they might tweak a little bit third, fourth line guys uh, to fit into salary cap areas. And then they're really going to get creative, let's say, with the salary cap to bring in some of the, um, some maybe the bigger name guys to fill up the back end. Well, you touched on your Stanley Cup win. Let's let's talk about how you got there. So let's go back and test your memory on this sense. We're really making your work here, Dave. Uh, That's all right. and, and the back also. So you're born in Etobicoke. Talk about how you got started in the game, leading up to ending up in Peterborough, an iconic junior team, and loads of history, and how you all came about ending up there. Well, I grew up in, I was born in Etobicoke. Um, my parents are still there. Uh, they've been there uh, since about 19... 19- 60, 61, uh, been married coming up to 65 years now. So, and they're both still alive and doing well. Uh, I started my, my game on the outdoor rinks of West Mall Arena, which are still there. Um, and oh, they've, got wow. those, they've got the one skating <laughs> pad. I think it's at uh, Bloor in the West Mall. Yep. And um, played for Aaron Gate in, uh, in minor hockey. And uh, dad was helping coach one of the teams. And, you know, this, I think I was five. So this would have been probably about 69 or 70. So, um, my older brother uh, got put into hockey. I fell across the street with his son was the same age as my older brother. Put him in, and then, hey, you know what? Younger brother, throw him in there with these guys as well because we're going to be at the rink. So that's how I got started, and I moved up through uh, Aaron Gate for a few years. Moved over to George Bell with uh, Bill Pinto was our coach, and I'm sure a lot of people who follow the minor mm-hmm. hockey through Toronto, Bill Pinto was a big recruiter of the the youngsters. Uh, we won a city championship the next year with the Roy York Rangers as a, I guess it was double A, which was the today's triple A. Yeah. And then I came after a year with West End AC. I moved into the EHA out, out of Centennial Arena, uh, played there for three years. And um, that would be about a B level now. 
And then we, uh, I moved to Mississauga. I played Mississauga for a couple years before I got drafted. Three years in Mississauga at the AAA level before I got drafted to Peterborough. So that's kind of, in a nutshell, where I played. And uh, and we used to practice at Centennial Pond. I'm not even sure if Centennial Pond is still there in behind the um, the big hill and the ballparks uh, out in Etobicoke. So my dad would would you know bring you just go there. Whoever showed up showed up and you just we did we didn't really practice we just skated and and yeah. you know you put some boots out they had they had a hut you could change in and then they had a fire going and as a kid that's that was our weekend if you weren't playing at west mall then all right practice show up and the dads and whoever was there would just skate so um you know that that's that's where i started playing and how i got going into it and you know i was i was always a big kid and uh moved along pretty well i was a good skater as a kid and just you know i was fortunate enough to have an older brother that had to chase around try to keep up with and then um got into peterborough and i went from midget hockey to playing a year in peterborough to be drafted and within you know, 18 months i'm i'm in an nhl training camp kind of like a, the way it, you know may not work like that now but that's usually the way it would work with guys you go for midget hockey and within two years you're at a training camp uh after being drafted and uh that was 17 you know, years funny, after yeah it's funny you mentioned uh those outdoor moments and how much you played outdoors. I remember doing that myself as a kid. And I mean, I, you couldn't get me out, uh, into the house. I mean, I was outside for like on weekends, I was out there the whole weekend pretty much. And now I can't stand the damn cold. I, it drives me crazy. <laughs> but when you're a kid and you're playing hockey and you're outside, you don't want to go in. You want to keep playing and playing and playing. Yep. You know, Squid, we've, uh, well, I, I can invite you up to our, our family farm because uh, we, we've got a rink. It's a 90 by 40, about 45 that uh, my son-in-law, uh, he put it all together this year. Oh. I was at work when he put it up. We've had it for a couple of years that we put out. And I always had a rink out in the, in the backyard uh, at our place with our kids. And then uh, my son-in-law has taken care of it. My daughter take care of this rink. You wouldn't like it, though, because it's outside. Big fire put out there. The mm. only thing that you'd probably enjoy is that after you after you lose a lot of your fluids while you skate and you're working hard, you need to replenish the fluids afterwards. So we sit down and, uh, although, you know, you, you, you would be, uh, you, you would be drinking all the water we have up there. But that's good. <laughs> Those are the type yeah. of people I enjoy. I, I, love, I love that. Yeah, but it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. I love that. I agree 100%. That's, that's the thing about, you know, I started playing as an uh, outdoors as a kid, and you would have done the same squid. Now, we were, yeah. you know, unfortunately, when we had that opportunity to go out on the weekends to skate at Centennial Pond, um, you know, we you never wanted to come in. And we used to play ball hockey until, you, you know, until your parents were yelling and screaming and mad at you. But playing outdoors and still skating outdoors is, is the fun of the game. And that's, uh, you know, it, it's... It's lost a lot on kids today. I mean, first of all, there's not as much natural ice around yeah. as uh, our, our seasons get shorter, although this season isn't. But uh, that's the fun well, of it, and we still enjoy doing it. Well, I used to say to guys, the one thing that's from hockey now, when a kid is playing in those outdoor rinks, because I came up in that year or two, and I actually played in Europe and Sweden. All We were the only team in the league that had an indoor rink. The rest of the league was all outdoors. <laughs> but I'd say to guys, you know, what you miss playing outdoors as a kid is – Never mind going to shooting coaches and goalie coaches and off ice training and all that. Go up to the schoolyard in a huge rink, throw a tennis ball out there with 15 aside and stick kind of around the guys on the other side. That's yeah. how you learn how to play. Yeah. You know what? It, it's interesting. Martin Grove rink. I mean, the best, the, 
living in Etobicoke, at least in the areas that we that we grew up in, and Scarborough and you know the, the yeah. other boroughs of Toronto were probably very similar. We had outdoor rinks everywhere, so every tennis court yeah. uh, had, and in I the see. summer they were you had pools, you had outdoor pools, and then in the in the winter the tennis courts were rinks. They were piped, and you could skate. And we used to have to walk past Martin Grove Arena, which is Martin Grove uh, tennis courts and tennis club. Uh, just Martin Grove and Rathburn and Etobicoke. We'd have to walk through the ravine and get up to uh, the high school. Martin Grove and John Jeld House, our, our middle school. And you had to walk right by the rink. So it was pretty much, you knew that there was a skate like a four to five and five to six. And there were times that yeah. even in high school, if you could get out early, it was a three to four. And your age group was able to skate. We'd get home and we, we'd get back to that rink as fast as you could, even though we had to cut through yeah. the ravine. And, you know, in, in a day when you, you were allowed to walk through the ravine by yourself, <laughs> wasn't a big deal you know so uh, or your folks would drive us and my parents would hey I'll, if someone was home they could quickly drive you over and then when my brother got his license then it was like let's go let's get over to martin grover because they had the outdoor shinny and that was it whoever was there was there and you, and you just played and, yeah. and you know what it's still to today they still do that in in all the rings i know west mall still does it uh, maybe not with as much with covid but there was always uh an outdoor shinny time when i worked with the network when the nhl network was uh out of the tsn studios out in scarborough uh i would come in i work late nights and i worked a few days in a row i'd, I'd stay out at my parents place in etobicoke and i i'd bring my skates my gloves and a helmet a stick and we're always working in the evenings but the shinny at um at west mall was was is in around 12 or 1 or something there was that midday shinny for the guys to come over on their lunch you go over there and you, you'd have 10 guys just <laughs> just playing and uh no goalies no nothing just 10 guys playing and it was uh it probably still goes on today well dave let's let's take you to 18 months from playing midget junior you playing with some guys i might even touch on playing with steve eisman at some point as he was a 15 year old now you're only a year or two older than him at the time but yeah. attending your first pro camp walk us through all that yeah that was uh we i get into boston i was totally naive i had no idea you know what what this was all about i you know i was um you know, I remember playing junior hockey and it was like, oh man, there's a picture. Uh, it was like, all right, uh, the scouts are, and Dave Morrison was on our team and Dave is, uh, was a longtime scout for the Maple Leafs and uh, had a great career in Europe. And, and he was one of the, he was in his third year on our team in Peterborough. And his dad, uh, Jim Morrison, obviously played in the Leafs and is a fantastic man, was a coach, was coaching Kingston at the time. He knew all, Dave knew all the scouts. He's like, oh, the, this guy's in the building. This guy's in the building. I'm like, what scouts what like no idea right totally naive so i get into boston in 82 and, you know we've got peter McNabb's there uh mike milbury's playing uh, terry o'reilly rick middleton barry peterson they, they had i mean i think they might have lost the the year before in a conference final to the islanders i mean they were one of the best teams in the league pete peters was in gold jerry cheevers jean rattel and gary doke was a coaching staff um you know, and, and that was the, these are in the days where the practice facility in, in Danvers, up in Danvers, the rink, you, know, you could almost touch the ceiling uh, in the rooms. You'd come in and the laundry, the, there were the squid, you remember these days, the laundry basket was there and they give you a big pin and the laundry had the one piece laundry and you come in, it's like, do you like long or short? And I'm like, long or short, what? You had no idea. And you'd pin your laundry up and then you'd throw it like every day you'd pin columns, come in and grab a new piece of laundry. It's kind of gross and disgusting when you think about it now, but that's the way it was. You know, and uh, uh, yeah. so you, I get into camp. Uh, we had uh, Keith Crowder was there. Um, Dickie Redman was camp. Uh, Donnie Marcotte was still there. Um, you know, these guys were coming kind of late in, late in their careers. And uh, it, it was, 
you know, it, it was a blast. Um, and I, I, again, being totally naive, I was just a big kid that could skate. So I get out there and you get playing and, you know, I had decent hands in junior and I was more of an offensive player at the time. I mean, you don't get drafted as a defensive player. You get drafted because you have, you have some <laughs> offensive skill. And uh, so I had a really good camp. And uh, we put in, uh, that was the year, Gord Kluzak was drafted number one overall. The, our draft was Gord Kluzak, uh, and it was Brian Kern, Lyndon Byers, and myself. We had two second rounders and I was the third rounder. And and I get in there and these three Western kids are monsters. Lyndon was about my size, but he was like, and they <laughs> were tough, like tougher than tough. And I'm like, I know that wasn't my game, even though I was big. Brian Kern and, and Gord Kluzak were, you know, they had to be six four, six five. And man, oh man, you get into camp, it was yeah. like holy smokes. And then he played rookie exhibition games. So I I had a good enough camp that they actually put me in an um uh game in Buffalo uh in uh in exhibition we had one exhibition the first exhibition game so the plan was and i didn't know at the time the plan was i'm going to go to buffalo play the game and then they're going to send me home from there and that was kind of a reward i got for having a good camp and yeah. you know i just went in and did my thing i went and played my game and um you know just did my thing and uh it, it worked out pretty well so uh it, but you know i still there there was no cell phones there was you know you'd be have a you had a calling card i'm sure you guys know what a calling card was but you have a calling card uh, that you go to the hotel room and i you know it was my dad's calling card and i had my dad's visa number i didn't even have a visa for crying out loud and it, like everybody else like every other 18 year old kid uh you know going away to camp and uh you know you'd call home and tell them how things are going every day on the calling card and uh or you'd call collect um but there was no way of anybody to really keep tabs on you as to what you were doing um my my dad had a place he could go and buy newspapers kind of around the world so he'd be buying the boston globe uh, and, and checking on it there. There was no internet. You couldn't just get on the internet and read the stories, which is, you can tell people this today, the, the young people say, what, seriously? They did what? Yeah, these yeah, were newspapers. Really? You know, it's good, you're, you're, you know, you're, your family is probably the same following you along, right? You're on the yeah. other side of the country for oh, yeah. and then you're down in the States as a teenager in the WHA and, and they're like, what the heck? So, um, yeah, so that was kind of, that was the start to my career. And then the next year I went back in, I uh, had another good year in Peterborough. I had actually, I had a, my better, I had a better year every year. And yep. then my, I get into uh, my second training camp and now they're expecting me to make the team. So I'm going in there and uh, they had drafted Nevin Marquardt uh, in the first round as well. So uh, it came right down to the end uh, of camp and they kept Nevin and they sent me home. Um, and then I got called up that year, a group of us, me, uh, Lyndon Byers, mm-hmm. uh, Greg Johnston, who played in the Marlies, we all got called up from junior. Because that's in the back in the day, the Bruins didn't have a lot of extra players. And there we shared a, mm-hmm. a, a, a minor league affiliate in Hershey at that time. So they didn't know a lot of guys that they'd call up. They brought up junior guys. They were allowed to do it, which you can't anymore. So I got eight games in that year, uh, just uh, just before Christmas and after Christmas. Um, that was the, the, the start to my NHL career. But the, it was... Uh, it was pretty, you know, it was just, I look back on it now and I'm thinking, holy cow, I was there in 1982. I was only like, you know, maybe seven years there after Bobby Orr was there. You know and I'm thinking? Mm-hmm. And the older you get, they're like, that's no time at all in a career. And if Bobby yeah. Orr was healthy, he may have even been there when when, yeah. when I was there. So yeah. uh, in, in 82, you know, and, and it's not far-fetched in today's world. So, um, yeah, so that was that, that was the beginning of uh, of my career with the Bruins. Well, I was going to say, you know, so the next couple of years, you're going back and forth between the HL and the NHL, you know, pretty much splitting the seasons. But 
what was your impression of playing in the minors at the time and how frustrating did it become moving up and down, especially since you were producing at both levels? Yeah, it was interesting. I, I you know, in my first year, I was a lot, pretty much one of the last cuts in, in, uh, in camp in Boston. Um, it's my first year pro. So I get down to Hershey and we split with Philadelphia and we had a handful of guys there. When I say handful, you know, out of a team of 24, 25 guys, I think we had about eight or nine and it was a handful. And there was about four of us in the same boat. We're all rookies coming in. Um, so I got down there and Gary Ennis, um, was our coach. I believe Gary just passed about a year or so ago and, uh, it was a great guy and they played the flyers guys. I mean, they didn't, they weren't interested in, you know, in the Bruins guys as much. They played the Flyers guys and I hardly played. I'd sit on the bench and for whatever reason, when I got out there, I'd get a point, I'd get a goal, I'd get an assist. We're terrible. Our team was terrible. Um, we had good young players, but, but we weren't, a, we weren't a good team in the American league and the American league was tough, like nasty tough in, mm -hmm. in 1984. Uh, you know, you had guys who were 35, 36 that were, you think a slap shot, yeah. well, that was, <laughs> You know, American League was a step above that, but there were still the guys in the league. You were like, yeah. oh my gosh, who is this guy? You know, and they were looking at me like, I'm going like, to take your head off, kid. And uh, anyhow, so I, I was able to put up some points and I got called up uh, just after Christmas. And I still to this day, not sure why, because I hardly played. Um, uh, and then I got into Boston and one of the first games we're playing Quebec and Wilk Paymont high sticks Charlie Simmer and breaks his jaw. And next thing I know, um, uh, cheesy Jerry Cheeves is our coach. He's like, uh, reader, you go up and uh, you're left wing with uh, Butchie and Nifty. So, and it was like the first game. So all of a sudden I'm there and it's like, all right, my line mates now Rick Middleton and Butch Goring. And I think I scored six goals and seven shots or something. And all of a sudden I'm this, uh, this big stud <laughs> left winger is going to score goals. So I had played like 34 games, 35, I don't know the exact number. I think I had 14 goals or something. And that was Tom Barrasso's upper rookie of the year yeah. in Boston. They were saying, oh man, this guy could be rookie of the year if he played the whole year. Um, I was like, yeah, thanks Nifty and, and thanks Butchie. So, um, you know, but it was amazing. I, I, I'm not playing on the, one of the worst teams in the American League. Um, playing five minutes a game on a fourth line, you know, uh, and then I get called up to NHL now and playing, and we were a good team. It's like it's not yeah. like we were a bad team in Boston. We were a good team. Kenny Lindsman was was our center uh, at that time, and Butch Goring was our center at that time. We, you know, Ray was on the back end. We had um, we had Michael Connell was there. Um, they traded Peter McNabb, I believe, that year. Maybe it was the year before, and and we had uh, like we had a, we had a good team. Um, we had Pete Peters and Doug Keens were our goaltenders. Anyhow, uh, well, when 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 did Boston never have a good team? Yeah, they I, have a good I, team every year. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, you know what, yeah, Squid, you're absolutely right. Yeah, they they found a way yeah. to get it done, and um, yeah, so that 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 was kind of my start. And then then the next three years, I was up and down in the minors. We moved to uh, uh, Moncton the next year. We we shared with the Flames for two years out yeah. in Moncton, and uh, I played with guys. Uh, oh, there's a dandy. Uh, Paul Pats was probably the guy spilling you with these. Glenn, Glenn Dreyfus and Paul. That's Glenn Pulsey. Yeah. He pulls these out yeah. of the. Yeah, I got that whole set. If you look through that set, um, we've got uh, a couple of the years I was there. We, I played with Brett Hall, one rookie of the year in the American League in Moncton. We shot, I played Gary Roberts, Brian Bradley. Um, uh, Mike Vernon was down there with us. Um, you know, we had we had a lot of uh, Lynn and Byers played there. Bill Ranford played with us in Moncton. Um, you know, we had a lot of, of, of guys who had great 
National Hockey League careers and long careers after that. Lyndon Byers was there where Andy Burge was with us down there. Um, you know, a, along with a lot of great players who played, uh, mm-hmm. who didn't get the opportunity to play as much in the National League. We had a lot of great American League guys as well. So um, I had two years in Moncton. Uh, again, my the, the one year I was kind of up and down. And then my, my second year, which was my third year pro, I think I played about 12 or 14 games. And then my final year, my fourth year pro, we moved to uh, Portland, Maine. Uh, Mike Milbury was our head coach there, uh, or he was the general manager uh, of the team. No, he was the coach. Yeah, he was the head coach of the team. Yeah, and uh, the, this this photo was when I came back. I believe that's when I came back to Boston in 91. Uh, I think I moved down to, to Maine. I played with Maine for a month, and I think that was the year we took that shot because I wore 19 when I was in Maine in 80. I guess it would be in 87, 88. And uh, that was the year before I came to Toronto. Okay. I played pretty much played pretty much the whole year in Maine that year. Um, and that was the first year Boston had their own American League team, which was, um, you know, a, a huge thing. And since then, most teams now have got pretty much every team has their own. But, uh, yeah, and I came to Toronto yeah. in 88. Uh, and that's really where I kind of look at my career as taking off. That's when I became pretty much a full-time. Uh, well, how did that come about? I see you, know, we had you, a, uh, you were born as Jayox or me, by the way. I mean, five years later. Five years but... later? A good Taurus, <laughs> yeah. Good stubborn. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> stubborn and uh, and determined, I guess, is the way you look at it. You know, when uh, Gord Stelic was the was the GM in Toronto, was, um, and I had a really good playoff in uh, Portland, Maine, um, and we got a couple rounds in before we lost out. And... Uh, um, I signed on to Toronto because uh, they had the American League team was a new market, and I had played pretty much the whole season in 87, 88 in the American League. And uh, I think that was the first year that they had moved. Uh, no, they'd been in the new market a year or two maybe. But it, for me, it was convenient. My family was in the Toronto area. My, my, my wife's family was in the Toronto area. And it was like, you know what, we can move home. Uh, she was a, she taught school. Uh, she graduated as a school teacher. So Kath uh, taught uh, grade one out in Scarborough. So we thought, you know, we can move here. I can play. If I play in the American League, I play in the American League. We can live in the same place. She can get she can get into her teaching education and she can get her career going. Uh, because we, I really, you know, I was four years in. If you're in the minors after your fourth year, you're usually going to stay in the American Hockey League. That was just the way it worked at that time. Uh, and I was fortunate enough that I was in great shape. That was the summer I was a bike courier in Toronto. I'm sure that's well documented. I was a, a bike courier in the city of Toronto uh, as a summer job. Um, and my legs, I could ride around the world because I ride, rode so much. So we get to camp and uh, uh, John Brof is the coach. And uh, Brof did his four by fours at the end of camp. Squid, I'm sure you know them. You four different groups line up in each corner. You had to do four laps. And so I just put my head yeah. down and skated. And I, I, first time I finished, I looked up and I was like a lap ahead of everybody. And um, because I rode a bike all summer, pretty much five <laughs> days a week for two and a half months. Um, and Brof took a shining to me because I could skate. I was disciplined in my game. And ironically, I wasn't tough. I wasn't a fighter. I wasn't his type of player as, you know, hey, you're going to be a third or fourth line guy. But uh, he tagged me on a line with Vince Dampus and Danny Mirwa in Toronto. And they did their thing offensively. And I just kind of picked up the uh, the slack defensively. And for the first two months, we played together. We were putting up some points. And I, you know, from my Boston, my Peterborough days, 
uh, was, you know, discipline and, and, and positioning and getting pucks out of the zone and, you know, coming back in your zone and being a good position in the offensive zone. So that's kind of where my defensive game came. And then, then as the season got on, uh, I was never consistent enough offensively to remain on top line scoring, but I was always capable to jump in here and there. And that kind of went with me throughout my career. But defensively and penalty killing became a strong suit, and that's what I started to excel at. And that's where I uh, um, really started all of that defensive game was with the Leafs. Uh, and and away we went. So And it was fun. I mean, for me, playing in Toronto, playing at home uh, with my family there, and uh, you know, my dad was a huge Silaps fan growing up in the Perth area in Ontario. And for me to be able to put the, the leaf Jersey on at that time was a dream come true. And I was fortunate enough to do it for three years. And, uh, you know, that's really where my niche and, uh, my career got going as a defensive player. So reader, like coming to Toronto, did you have any hesitations about, you know, I mean, you know what it's like in Toronto with the fans and the media and everything else. And, uh, you're being a hometown boy coming back home. Was there any reservations and, or did you feel any pressure at any time that, you know, that this maybe won't work out? Because uh, Toronto is a tough place to play. I've always said yeah. if you don't have tough game, you can't play in that market, period. No, no I, I, you're right. It is. It is. But for me, I, I, w- I came in really with not the expectation to make the Leafs. I was, I was just – I'd signed a contract. It was a two-way contract. I mean, I, throughout the time I was with the Leafs, I was on a two-way contract. And um, and at the time, uh, they could send, they could move you up and down, you know, at any age. So until the new rules came in. So I really didn't expect to be a, a, a fixture with the Leafs uh, and to play the roles that I played on the team. Um, but as camp got along and I realized, hey, I'm as good as anybody out here, I did. But for me, with all the expectations, and again, there was no internet. This was before the internet. So when I was not playing in Toronto, like when I, I played in Boston, I never heard of Toronto. I never, I never, you didn't see them on the news. I'm down in Boston. I didn't see anything other yeah. than the Boston Bruins or, you know, or um, they didn't have sports shows that went around the country. There was no TSN and there was no Roger sports that, you know, pumping things out. Um, you know, if you were in Toronto, you dealt with the Toronto media, but other than that, you know, unless you went to your corner store to buy your Toronto star, or your uh, Toronto son, you know, living somewhere else, you you had no idea what was going on in Toronto. Not like today where the internet is, is um, instant pop on there. Yeah. It, it is. So but even, uh, even back, I just wanted to do it. Because but even I, back I, then, though, Dave, but even back then, I mean, the coverage in the newspapers and on the television stations in Toronto was significant. I mean, compared yeah. to any other team in, in, like, say, in the U.S. or whatever. Uh, there must have been times where you were like, holy cow, like, you know, we're getting, you know, lots of coverage or did you not feel that pressure? I, I didn't, uh, you know what, I, I came into a team that uh, you had just left and, and the team, the team wasn't doing well and, and we didn't do well our first year, um, you know, and we're in the Norris division, which uh, was probably the weakest yeah. division in the league. And then in our, in my second year, um, after they relieved Bro for our first year, and then Doug Carpenter took over, I think we were in the la- going into about the last three or four games. We were a couple of games over 500, and the team hadn't been at this point points wise. And we had uh, Lehman scored 51. I think Gary got um, last guy to do it since you, and then um, was the only guy since 
you know, you're the only one to do it other than Gary at that time. And then uh, I think Big Al, I afraid he had tied um, uh, Turnbull's record for goals. I think it was 22. And we yeah. set a record, Squid. We hold the record at that time. It might be broken now for most goals for in a season. In one season, that team in oh, 80, really? 89, 90 held the record for most goals for in a season. And we also hold, held the record, and we set it that year, for most goals allowed in a season. Uh, can't recall what they were, but we games were like 9-7. And so going into the final week of the season, we were I, we were over five hundred. I, 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 I thought I thought I was on I thought I was on a league team that held the record for the most goals against back in. No, nah, we 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 broke it the same year we scored the most goals. It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, we we you know it, it, the games were the games were nuts. It was seven five six five. It was like oh my gosh, we just we had no system. We just went back and forth, you know, and uh, and we lost to we lost to St. Louis in the first round of the playoffs. But so so every but the the. The fans loved us. This was like, oh, you guys are great. We're having a great season. Everybody was, you know, we're scoring lots of goals. It was a lot of fun. This was back in, you know, the late 80s type of thing. So it was a lot of fun. The next year, reality set in, and, and that's when they fired Doug Carpenter and they brought in Tom Juan. And, it, again, it was just a gone show of a year. And it was a couple years before they brought Pat Burns in and, and turned the thing, the team around with Cliff Fletcher. But, um, you know, so my second year, we had such a great time. And my first year, hey, I was just happy to be back in the league, happy to be playing on the Leafs. And, um you know, just more worrying about myself than worrying about the team. It took me a little, takes you a little while to get into the into the league. Yeah, I love that shot. Uh, it takes a little while to get into the league. That was the day that Gretzky was covering me. Yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. That was it. That was in L.A. I well, Dave, told him that too. Dave, to let you know, you're the second Dave Reed to play for the Maple Leafs. I don't know if you're aware of that. Yes, at the yes, time, uh, but. Yeah. But there was a Dave Reed who played in the 50s. Over three seasons, he played seven games. And the other thing you're being a little bit modest about over you know, the what, time. One thing, is, one, one thing, Mike, sorry. Uh, that that oh, Dave yeah. Reed passed away uh, within the last year. We were discussing and, that, yes. And he, uh, he, Dave, Dave sent me a, um, a telegram when I made the team. And uh, for those of you who don't know it, it's like, a, it's like the old school text. Um, <laughs> he sent me a telegram, and I still have the telegram, and I have a beehive photo of him as well with the telegram. Oh, that's and he's awesome. congratulating me. On uh, uh, on making the Leafs, nice to see another Dave Reed uh, uh, play in the Toronto Maple Leafs. So yeah, it's it's kind of cool. So yeah, I, I I'm very aware of uh, of that Dave Reed. That's fantastic. Uh, well, I was going to mention along with that, I was going to set it up, but you're being very modest. That the 1991 season, you scored 15 goals, but eight were shorthanded. So your defensive capabilities were certainly coming full throttle at that time, and you end up, I think, 28 shorthanded goals throughout your career. I think is the yeah. number. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure the. Uh, I'm not sure the exact number. Uh, I think I was in the top twenty or twenty-five. Might have been the top twenty. All I know is there's a list when you go on the the, the databases, and I was right near the bottom. And as guys would score, my my I was trying to hang on to page one. You just wanted to stay on page one, and somebody else would score. Boom! I'd have to go. You have to go down to page two to see my name. So I mean, it was. It was. My brother was always joking. Ah, you're still on page one. I don't know. It was Berg, Berg, it was Bergeron or someone? Someone was, someone was getting close to uh, to passing me in the shorthanded goals and stuff. But yeah, that was it. It was really cool. Uh, quickly, I was born in '64, and the Leafs won the Cup in '64. And, and you know, being a mid-May baby, that would, Leafs were right around that time the season ended um, before they got going into June and stuff. So um, I was named after Dave Keon because uh, Dave Keon was the star of the team and my parents and family are huge Leafs fans. They, 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 you know, watch and listen to every game. 
And then when I get, when I was in junior, I wore, I was given 14. And when I got to pro in uh, Toronto, uh, they, they gave me 14. I was, well, I was able to kind of swap it. I was able to get 14. It came available my first year after wearing 34 for a bit. And then that year, my final year in Toronto, 1991, I uh, had eight shorthanded goals in that year. Uh, yeah. And that, that led the league, but it also tied Dave Keon's record from 1970-71 oh. with eight shorthanded goals. And the record still, we share the record today. So that was pretty cool. Um, you know, for me, and I, I had a great run that year with shorthanded goals. The team was was horrendous. We were terrible. Um, but for me, it, it, I had good personal success in that year. And, um, yeah, I, I didn't do me much good because they didn't sign me after that. At least let me go after that. And, uh, <laughs> I found myself back in the American League uh, after sitting at home for a month. But um, it, well, let's it, pick it up on that, Dave. Let's pick up on that. You spend five years, go back to Boston, end up five years back in Boston, then yeah. you, and move on to Dallas. And some good things happened there. So somebody in Dallas must have saw some good things. In you. And I'd like you to talk about that Stanley Cup season. And the couple, you, you, again, lucked out, or they were very lucky to be playing with you. A couple of good line mates that you ended up with, with through that <laughs> whole run. Yeah, you know, I got the five years in Boston, I got played and I got played in a, in a third line regular role. So I was able to put some points back up and, and continue my penalty killing. And when I went to, uh, when I left Boston and went to Dallas as a free agent, it was ironic. I, we wanted to stay in Boston. Our children were very young. They'd both been born in the Boston area. And we wanted to stay there. And, and I wanted a third year. I was 32 years old. I wanted a third year in a contract. And the Bruins only offered two years. And they, they had a reputation of not offering that third year. And Dallas offered the third year. They said, no, we'll give you three years. And it wasn't crazy money. I think it was like 700,000 at the time, which, you know, and I, I think I was coming off a 20 or 21 goal season. It was one of my, one of my Nazem Kadri best years, yeah. and uh, which never hurt. So I get into Dallas. That year I scored 19 goals in Dallas in my first year. So I, I signed to Dallas because they gave me the third year. And we the, the team didn't make the playoffs the year before. And, and, and it was like, where, you know, why are you going there? Well, they had made a trade for Jerome McGinley was just drafted and they traded Jerome McGinley for uh, uh, Joe Newendike the year before they'd picked up Sergey Zubov in a trade. Ken Hitchcock had replaced Bob Ganey, who is now the general manager and he moved up to be uh, just, just the general manager. And they'd signed myself. They signed Pat Verbeek. And, you know, we had a great nucleus of players, but Mike Madonna was the superstar of the team. Um, you know, Guy Carboneau was in there. They brought Guy Carboneau and Craig Ludwig to come in. Sean Chambers came in. Um, you know, we had a great team. So every year, we Andy Moog was a goaltender I played with in Boston, so I had some familiarity there. So I get into Dallas, get put in a third-line role. I was pretty much with uh, Guy Carboneau the majority of the time I was there until the, the third year when we were there. Every year, we did something different. We, first year, we, we lost in the first round to Edmonton. Cujo stood in his head. And then we, we brought in Ed Belfort. The next year, we lost to Detroit because we needed some goal scoring. They brought in uh, Brett Hull. In the third year, Brett Hull scored the, the cup-winning goal. And he was mm -hmm. the right winger with Mike Madano. And ben, Benny Hogue was a left winger on our second line. And Hoagie had uh, torn his ACL, and he was out for a few weeks in the playoffs. And they put me, uh, Hitch put me up uh, in the second round in the conference, or the third round, it was the conference final against Colorado. He put me up on a line with Joe Neuendijk and uh, Jamie Langenbrunner. And uh, it just clicked. Again, I was good at short stints offensively with guys. And I think I had seven points in seven games. And we beat we beat uh, Colorado in seven, and uh, Nui, and, and then the then we we beat Buffalo in six, and I was still pretty much playing with that line 
for the better part, Benny came back for a bit, but, uh, you know, he still wasn't a hundred percent. So, uh, and knew he won the Conn Smythe, um, that year. And, and he was kind of my centerman as I wrapped up the season there. And, and so that whole team and, and everything was, um, you know, it, it, we had everything we needed. We had fantastic superstar hall of fame players. Sergey Zubov was, you know, just inducted in the hall of fame. You know, you had Neuendijk and Madano up front. You had Brett Hall. Yuri Lettinen could be in the Hall of Fame. We had Eddie Belfort in that. Um, you know, we had uh, Darian Hatcher was our captain in the back end who was as mean and as big and as nice a human being as you're ever going to meet. So we had everything on that team. Um, you know, Guy Carboneau, Mike Keane, Brian Scrulin. Like, we had it all, veterans. Um, and, and it was a fantastic year, a lot of fun. And Hitch pushed the right buttons at the right time. And uh, so I was very fortunate Boston – didn't offer me that third that third year of the contract. It's the third year of my contract the Boston is offers the year we want it. So, uh, well, hey, uh, Dave, we'd be remiss. Now, you talked about the right call yeah. and the right things going the right way. We'd be remiss if we didn't bring this up. We had Wayne Primo on a couple of weeks ago who was in the other side of that Stanley Cup final. He gave us his version of uh, the goal in question. Now we want to hear the winner's version. Well, his foot was that breath foot, foot was definitely in the crease. Uh, and the crazy thing is, I didn't know it until I think Gordon Miller was interviewing me on TSN at probably an hour or two after the game. I mean, I was one of the last guys to probably be interviewed on TSN. <laughs> and uh, he asked me, what are your thoughts about the questionable goal? And, and I was like, what, what, what questionable? No idea. I had no idea. And I didn't see any replays. Like we won, we're on the ice and it was probably the league's worst nightmare. Yeah, the rule, it was such a stupid rule. But afterwards, I think, uh, I can't remember who the, the referee came out. I, I, I think he, he had said, well, if you're in the crease and you have control of the puck and your foot's in the crease and the puck comes out and you're under control, it counts as a goal. Now, that's that that was the explanation we had heard like the next day. And we're like, well, Holly definitely had control of the puck because he stick handled. He was in the crease with the puck, pulled it out, flipped it over, hashing. So we're like, Okay, well, if that's what the rule was, nobody ever came out and said that that was a rule. I don't know if that it was said at that time, but I didn't know anything about it until hours afterwards. I didn't know the other team was Lindy Ruff and the guys were standing on the bench yelling and screaming. All I knew was we won the Stanley Cup, and I'm on the ice celebrating with everybody. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's uh, it's ironic and, and it's crazy, but uh, thank God they changed that rule. That was the, the dumbest rule, but... Uh, um, we would have beat them in seven and well, we would have beat them in six anyhow. So, you know, Preems can say whatever he wants, but uh, they were lucky to be in that series. Well, he didn't say much, but the thing is, I, I do remember, I believe that rule was brought in just that year, was it not? It might, yeah. I think that was the I first year. have been a one and done. Yeah. Yeah, well, and, and then, of course, after that, it was yeah, – we're, was, we're uh, in triple overtime. Like, I know, I and mean, this is everybody tells me afterwards because, you know, being in the media, they're like, we're all standing at the far end where the Zamboni is, and we're just waiting for the goal to go in. And as soon as the goal goes in, the red light goes on, the door's open, and the ice is flooded. He says, the, there's no way that they were bringing that, that, that goal back because the ice, the, the t are, we're on the ice, the media's on the ice, and the guys are saying, there's like, there's not a chance that they were going to be able to do anything because, like, what are they going to do? They're going to, like, they, they would it would have taken an hour just to clean the ice up with all the crap and everything that was out there. So, uh, uh, but it's it's so funny that I had no idea that there was even an issue with the goal until it had to be at least an hour, hour and a half. Like, we're in, I was in the locker room. I had no idea on the ice. And I'm not lying. This is a, God's <laughs> honest truth. Like, 
I just won the Stanley Cup. I was 35 years old. Like the last, I'm thinking about where are my parents? Where's my brother? Where's my wife? Like, where's my family in the stands? Come on down. Like I'm looking around, but we're like, get down here. I didn't have a clue what was going on. And I, I'm sure half the guys in our team were the same. Like we didn't care. Nobody told us, Oh, Hey, hold on guys. It's being reviewed. You know, we, there was, there was no bait. And this was an era when the goal went in, not a, you didn't stand there like this. You know, yeah. what happened on that goal? Like there's no iPad on the bench. Oh, what happened? Uh, hey coach, what no. happened? You know, the goal went in, the light went on, media's on there and uh, away you go. So I, it would be definitely different in today's well, world. With, Dave, we know uh, you've oh, got, yeah. uh, you know, we're pushed up against the clock and we really appreciate you for coming on. Just like you to quickly touch on the second cup victory in Colorado, which you touched on earlier. You're, what I'm more interested in in this question is your emotional state going into that final. Yeah. After having gone through it once in Dallas with the ups and downs, breaks go against it with you and all that kind of stuff, were you a little more relaxed in the second oh, one? I was totally chill going into this one. And uh, it's amazing when they say, you know, you bring in players who have won, what a difference uh, those players can bring into a room. And we had guys like Carboneau and Keane and, uh, I can remember Mike Madonna was nervous. Nelly, you know, when, when we won it in Buffalo. And, and I, I sat beside Ray Bork in the locker room, and I was buddies with Ray. And, and you know, when, when Ray had to have a roommate on the road and we had even number of players on the road, I was Ray's roommate on the road. Um, and I knew Ray from way back when in Boston in these days when, when we didn't have gray hair. And uh, so, like, I was so chill. And I remember coming into game seven. Now, we, we were down – Three games to two. We had lost game five at home, and we're going back into 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 uh, New Jersey. We're down three to two, and the cups in the building, and and we're like, you know what, this can't happen. And I took a penalty in game six in the first period. I don't know about five minutes in. I'm sitting in the box. Please don't score. Please don't. Please don't score. And Patrick stood on his head, like Patrick Wall was. He couldn't have played a better period. Adam Foot drifts one in from the blue line with about two minutes to go in the first period. And we're up one nothing. The next five periods, New Jersey wasn't in the series. We dominated the next five periods, and we went on to win. And I remember coming into game seven. I was sitting beside Ray, and I had had a great afternoon nap. And we all stayed in the hotel in the home games. I'd stayed in the hotel, and I had had a great afternoon nap. And we weren't we weren't rooming with Ray at this time. And uh, I get in. Hey, Bubs, how's it going? How's your nap? And he's just F this, F that, telling me where I can, you know, stick my nap and this and that. And I'm like, I'm like, seriously, man. And and I'm and we kind of knew it was his last game and didn't know it was my last game. But I'm like, Bubs, this is it, buddy. There's no practicing tomorrow. There's no schedule. You can do it. You can golf all day you want tomorrow. There's nothing going to happen tomorrow. We're off. We're done. This is it. Last game. Let's go have fun. And he just again, he's up and down me like Argh. he was just like squeezing the stick, squeezing the stick. And I was like. It's going to be fine. We're going to win. I, I just the confidence I had coming into that game, and whether it was right or wrong, but I also had a ring from two years earlier in my back pocket that that I was, you know, it was like, hey, um, you know. So we went in and and we dominated that game. We 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 won three to one, and um, you know, we we were in control from the second period in Game Six on and the rest of that series, and uh, it was exciting. And to win with Ray, everybody's like, oh, you won it for Ray. We're like, no, we didn't win it for Ray. We, Ray, we want it with Ray. And uh, Aaron Miller, who was traded to L.A. for Rob Blake that year, uh, he and Adam Deadmarsh went to L.A. for Rob Blake and Steve Reinprecht. He used to say that the year before when Ray came to us um, and we lost in the conference final uh, to Dallas, actually, my old team. And it's like, you know, we want it with Ray Bork. And uh, it's, you know, I look back now, I'm, you know, we're going on 21 years of that. And it's, uh, you know, I still text Ray on June 9th every year. I text Ray, hey, Bubs. 
um, you know, this was it. Congratulations. Happy anniversary. Uh, and, and it's still, uh, it's still pretty special to think that I was on that team and Ray's teammate when we won it and Joe handed Ray the cup. So yeah, that, that was, that was really special. And my kids are old enough to remember it or, you know, remember a little bit of it. And they were in the building. They weren't there in Buffalo. I had over 20 family members with me at that game. Um, my nieces, uh, my, my younger brother's first child was born, uh, June 9th in 2020. So that was her first birthday. And uh, oh, wow. they weren't even sure they were going to come down. They were going to celebrate it with her family at home. And he's like, we're going there. We're coming down. So, so it was pretty special to be able to do Fantastic. it at home. Um, I never got to change a shower in the rink. I, I pretty much walked out of the rink with my bag. My you know, hours later was stuff in a bag because the place was absolutely packed in, in the building. But uh, yeah, that was a, uh, that was an extremely special moment. And uh, that was my last game of my career. So it was a, it was a nice way to go out. Good way to go. Squid final okay. time. I've never asked anybody this question before, although I don't think we've had too many Stanley Cup winners on. How much does that trophy weigh? Is it heavy? <laughs> no, not at all. I think it, I don't know if I can lift it today. It's like about thirty-five pounds. 35 no, pounds. no, are you kidding me? It's no. It was uh, no. It's when. Well, no, of course, not after. At not at all. When you win it, it's not heavy at all. It's squid. It's never heavy when you lift it, even never though today, is. even though I probably exactly. could find a way to lift it up. But no, no, I, I, I've lifted it a few times since. I had it a few times since, and uh, it, it, it's, it's never that heavy. It's still, the, you know what? It's still the same excitement seeing it and being able to touch it and pick it up when I've seen it at events uh, now as it was when I won it, you know, 20, 22 years ago. It's uh, that excitement with that trophy oh. is, is still there. Funny thing is, my father would never let us stay up after the first period and watch any of the hockey games. Of course, in PEI, in PEI, it didn't start till nine o'clock back then. Yeah. But yeah. one thing he did, he woke me up every year when they gave out the Stanley Cup. Yeah. And I remember I, when I was like five years old, every year he would wake me up, no matter what time it was, to watch the Stanley Cup get awarded. And, that never left my my mind. That was always something in my mind every year, and I never even got close to it. So it was unfortunate, but you know what are you going to do? No, I, that's it. I mean, I right. was uh, I didn't have the skill level that you had, and I was fortunate that I was on some great teams, and uh, uh, and I got too. So that's why I say it. it's you know what you got to be you got to be lucky, and you got to be on the right team at the right time, yep. and it's all got to come together. Even the best players on the best teams don't don't win it. Uh, it, it's all got to come together at the right time. And I was very fortunate. I've been very fortunate in my career to play in my hometown, have a long career and finish up with a couple Stanley cups. Well, as a good friend, friend, uh, Brian Burke says, there's only ever one winner, one parade every year. So it's a pretty tough trophy to win. Probably absolutely. the toughest in sports to win. Best presentation, best trophy, best game Agreed. in the world. We want to thank Agreed. you so much for joining us today, Dave. The one thing we didn't get to talk to you about was the cards being a bit of a collector myself, there we want to get into that. Well, we'd love to maybe do, maybe down the road somewhere. We'll, get Absolutely. We'll, have a, we'll have a talk about, we'll have a show where we'll bring some card guys on and we'll do some talking about it. Uh, Cause I know you had a store at one time at Alan Bester and you're in Maybe Toronto. So we'd like to go through it all yeah. and talk about the craze at some point if we could, but we Absolutely. know you're very busy. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be, uh, I'd be happy to join you guys at any time, anytime. If we can, uh, 
Man, that's hours alone right there talking cards. <laughs> uh, you know, that's why I said oh, yeah. I could bring the subject up today. We're going to be going on for a long time yeah. because there's lots to talk about. So anyway, Dave, we know you're uh, very busy. We want to thank you so much for joining us. It was great insights and uh, thanks and best of luck. And I'll be watching them in Florida in a couple of weeks. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Squid. Great to see you. Thanks for having me on. Hey, Peter.